0: Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by co-host Ellison Weist. Hello, Ellison. Oh, Sarah. Hello. And how are you? I'm good, particularly now that we were laughing so much before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> About the travails of getting old. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the traps in the teeth. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Yeah, yep. food traps in the teeth. Yep. Yeah, I could get locked in this studio and, you know, not starve for 40 days because of all the food I have in my teeth. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, and somebody who's a couple of years older than me had warned me about this about the time I, I think I got I hit 55, about 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. like that. And I sort of thought, oh, no, I've always had great teeth. No problems. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Joke's on you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff
1: came home to roost and, <laughs> It wasn't on my head, it was yeah.
0: in my mouth. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I did find out though about these little things from a woman runner who helped named Paula who helped us out at our Portland running retreat in October and we were setting up and, and registrants were about to get there, attendees were about to get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, and we had just eaten salads for lunch. I have so much stuff in my teeth, Ah! Uh, and she's like, here, do you want to use it? And I forget what the term is. Yeah, but I forget what they are, those little little tiny sort of... um, They look almost like Christmas trees. Right, and they have floss in them that you can just whip out. Oh, yeah, not placards because those are the bane of my existence because I don't know what it is with Portland and you go running here... I don't know if you remember, but there were oh, yeah. so You've many blackers the on the brown. road. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It's like the new cigarette butt to throw out your window. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, these are, they look seriously like little tiny Christmas trees in that oh, they, uh, you know, they're a little bit like a, um, a pipe cleaner, but they, st- you know, they're kind of gradiated or, you know, triangular shaped like a Christmas tree can be. And so they help massage your gums as well as, boy, they can, they can just Go to town on getting stuff out between your teeth. Oh, really?
1: Yes. All right. Well, now that everybody you know is mm-hmm. waiting, you're going to have to find out and post
0: it. So now I need to post a picture exactly in yeah. stories. Yeah. So now I keep them in my purse, in my desk. Yeah, <laughs> never without <In> the car. <laughs> <In the laughs> oh, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. In the car, I need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. So we are recording this right after the holiday weekend because I'm headed to Austin for work. So Ooh. boy, I had a busy, busy weekend that had nothing to do with Thanksgiving or Black Friday shopping or anything. <laughs> it was Was that with the kids, the twins? It was um so we're eagerly awaiting hearing about early decision at Occidental for Daphne. Oh, and wow. then um, Oxnell's in Los Angeles. And then with John, I have been helping him get all the pieces in place to apply to 17 schools. 17? B- 17, because no, he's not one of those kids who just can't decide where he wants to go, but he has to cast a really wide net because he wants to do either musical theater BFA or dance BFA. And wow. there's no telling. You have to get into the college or school and then you have to get into the BFA program. So, so yes, he's already mm-hmm. been admitted to, I don't know, two or three colleges, but mm-hmm. that's, that's the easy part here. The it's getting into the BFA program. So oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, so, I did
1: not realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So right now, as we record, he's upstairs talking with the head of the dance and theater department at Montclair state university in New Jersey, which is a school he applied to and auditioned for in Dallas a couple weeks ago. Oh, he applied, yes, last evening to Carnegie Mellon. And yeah, and he applied over the weekend to Juilliard. Oh, Uh, so so he saved some biggies for last. Uh, (laughs) The the final one he is saving to do, I think he's going to do today because the applications all have to be in by December 1st, because that's when he needs to upload all his pre-screen stuff to then they decide whether or not they're going to even let you audition for the program. So oh it is literally like a hurdles race, so what's the last one you oh, do- uh University of Southern California, oh my gosh, so the only oh. west only west Coast school, and then he and daphne would be both his twin sister would both be going to school in Los Angeles, which would wow. make life easy and very nice yes. but um yes. I don't know, he saved the harder ones for last i think u s c has an acceptance rate of sixteen point one percent to their to the college itself that's not even to their b f a program their b f a program oh, acceptance rate I think is um three percent,
1: oh my word,
0: <laughs> so oh. as, I, I'm like John, somebody's got to get in <laughs> that's exactly right that's
1: exactly right and and there's no denying he has the talent, oh thanks thanks thanks
0: thanks, yes yeah. yes, yes yes, thank you, so just interesting, all the range of questions and the, you know, do schools need short essays? Do they not? You know, I mean, they ask things, everything from, oh, USC has kind of a rapid fire, you know, range of questions like what's your favorite snack, your favorite movie, your favorite book, Mm. favorite song, um, and Mm. no, and no reason given just, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, (laughs) one question was, who would be your ideal roommate and why? So, okay, there was a, and it was, but I mean, it, I think you had to answer in, uh, I think, 25 words or less or something. And um, so, so his answer was Gordon Ramsey, because then he wouldn't have to order any takeout. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but he'd have to listen to Gordon Ramsay yell at him for while he was eating incorrectly Exactly.
0: that's what I thought I thought oh you know you could have found a nicer uh, a- famous <laughs> chef than Gordon yeah. Ramsay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm thinking Ina Garten yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah and and also it was because it could be a, an actual person alive mm-hmm. or dead or a fictional character so the <laughs> it was wide open and and he chose oh, wow. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, and and it's not like we watch Top Chef or Master Chef or whatever that show's called. Like I don't know where he pulled that one out of, but that boy does order a lot of takeout. So <laughs> at least he was being pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It shows that side of him. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, as folks may have guessed, you are on because it is our winter reading podcast episode. Yes. 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 And we wanted to do the episode earlier than we usually do so that books can make listeners wish lists or serve as gifts for others. So you and I have just been well, I should say I've stepped up my reading game. I feel like you are always reading. Is that the case? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm not chasing two-year-olds, <laughs> yes, I realize you you don't just have the life of leisure to sit around and no, read.
1: No, you know I've got this massive book pile at the bottom of my bed on on a trunk, and the baby likes to now likes to climb up on the trunk, mm. and so I'm always saying, "Be careful for Nana's books," and she goes, "Books, books." <laughs> so I'm caught in between,
0: "Don't touch Nana's books," and "Oh look." She's Aww. saying books. Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> so cute right before she pushes the pile over. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. starts ripping pages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, no, she is better. <laughs> I'm trained her well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, but do you go, we've talked about this on previous reading podcast episodes, but do you still go through kind of cycles where you read a lot and then you kind of take a break from it for whatever reason? Or are you fairly consistent? I still take breaks
1: and it oh. seems like it's not a thought out, like it's not mm-hmm. like, OK, after yes. I finish this book, I'm going to, you know, not pick anything up. It usually is that uh, I and I think I've spoken about this. I'll finish a fantastic book mm. just blows me away. And then everything that I pick up after that pales in comparison. Yes. yes. And Usually what I do then is like if the book that I loved was fiction, I will switch over to a nonfiction mm, book. And mm-hmm. That seems to help. But, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes I get caught up like this weekend, you know, when I was thinking I've got to finish reading this one book for the podcast, mm-hmm. I was into uh, I've Started knitting socks again, and I got into something on the television. With you know, and I kept thinking, just just a couple of more rows. (laughs) Well,
0: what about you? I mean, does that happen to you as well, or most definitely? I I go through long dry spells, and it certainly it is when a book lights my fire, then I'll jump back on it. Or like you say that that nothing can compare, so I have to take a break, but. I don't know. Sometimes I just lose my drive for it, and and I think mm-hmm. it's probably the way some people feel about running or exercise in general. Yes. That that you know, some days that you know the you don't even need the alarm to get up and get out the door. And other days it's like, mm, yeah, now this bed seems pretty appealing to me. Yeah. So yeah, but I find that you know, you know, you used to live in Portland that. November and December are tough yeah. months in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. They are. <laughs> and, they are. <laughs> and folks, it's not necessarily because of the rain. It's because mm-hmm. of the darkness. Yes. And, yeah. you know, we are very far north. And and I realize our friends in Canada and Alaska um, have more more hours of darkness than we do. So I can't really complain about things. But, but it's just that whole getting dark... You know, it's dark by four thirty four forty five and right. by by three o'clock, it feels like it's starting to be sunset right uh, and so so, but now I've kind of spun it over the weekend when I was not helping John with all his helping think up short essay ideas. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cozy to sit here and read <laughs> and and have this world spin around me that maybe isn't dark." You know, that like, yes. oh, it's daylight in the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I concentrate hard <laughs> enough, if I put away my phone, I can and can actually yes. read many pages. So, yes. So I'm I'm casting it as cozy. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. No, that's,
1: there's nothing more appealing to me than that. I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I I, uh, do snuggle up with your with Babylon, your dog. Oh, yeah. With Babylon. I mean, he's the best. If he curls up right next to you Mm -hmm. and I can stretch out my legs uh, Mm on the sofa that we have in the sunroom slash library. It's heaven on earth.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of dogs, how about Winston winning that whole Westminster dog oh, show? I know. Yay, go Frenchies. I... Yes. <laughs> Augie was quite yeah. proud. Quite oh, proud. I'm sure Augie was <laughs> I, just, I laughed when Jack put up the picture. Oh yeah. <laughs> on Facebook. That was so just... cute with Daphne holding the dog yeah. right near the TV. And oh yeah, my we... gosh. <laughs> oh, and the New York Times saying that Winston Smiled when his one of his owners (laughs) lifted him. It's like, no, that's the dog's Joker face. Uh (laughs) Exactly. But nice try. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! Yeah. So that was a high point in our family's weekend. I know. Um, know. (laughs) All right. Well, you mentioned great fiction. Let's hope we're going to serve up some of those. Let's start with novels. So take it away, E.
1: Okay. One that I read, it's been about a month, but I'm still sort of smiling at it, is a new one from Kate Atkinson. Mm. Uh, She has Life After Life and the Jackson Brody Mysteries. Yeah. And this one is called Shrines of Gaiety. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I love one of the descriptions. uh, I think it was the New York Times that called it sort of a fizzy delight, which... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if uh, Atkinson would appreciate that, but it's set in the Jazz Age in London, mid 1920s. Okay.
0: And e e, hold on one second. This breaking news just coming in from Jack, who sits near me uh, when I record this. Winston won national dog show, not Westminster. Oh, so, okay. so that answers oh, the question as oh, to whether Jack can hear me when I'm recording. Uh, <laughs> thanks honey (laughs) we won't be talking about
1: husbands in any future yes yes
0: yes. (laughs) Yes. all right back to the the shrines of gaiety and the jazz age i'm sorry to interrupt that's right no that's okay jazz
1: age london 1920s and again atkinson does what she does so well which is she almost and people have compared her to sort of like a modern dickens because she Hmm. brings in this very compelling crime family led by the mother. And then a young woman in her twenties who has sort of been released after the death of her mother and is on her own sort of looking for something to do. She's very smart and pretty savvy. And then there is a policeman Hmm. who is very kind hearted and caught between two loyalties. And I won't go into what the two loyalties Mm -hmm. are, but Atkinson's just she just knows how to weave a story mm-hmm. and it just continues, and she will take you from you know one character to the other, and then she slowly begins to meld all the characters and um I just love love her work um mm-hmm. there's a, there's been a couple of novels that I haven't been as crazy about with same hair same hair, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but I really I think she hit it out of the park with this one.
0: Oh, excellent, because I did love Life After Life. But then I yes. tried to read the next, uh, I think it had the word God in it. A God in Ruins. was oh, that the one? I get partial credit. I get partial yes. credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had,
1: the, you had the most important word. Yes. Yeah, that one was not my favorite either. Yes. But I do think that Life After Life, and then if anybody hasn't read the first in the Jackson Brody series, Case Histories, Mm. One of my favorite books of all time. You do not have to be a mystery lover. I've recommended it to people. I don't like mysteries. Read it. It's (laughs) fascinating. Mm -hmm. And and she really shows off her genius in that.
0: Yes. Yes. I think in Life After Life, her scenes of during the Blitz in London,
1: I just thought those were
0: really powerful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, nobody does it like her. And I heard her interviewed and she was they were asking her why she said so many things in that time. And she just says she finds it extremely interesting.
0: Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Yes. Yes. So, well, good. I'm waiting to get that out of the Multnomah County Library. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, then also put a, a hold in
1: on the latest from Andrew Miller called the slow worm song i know that's sort of an odd sounding title um (laughs) andrew miller is somebody that i'm so happy to see that that he's getting uh, more attention and more press over here he's british Mm. i've read three of his other novels earlier novels including pure and uh the crossing both of which i would recommend and this one it's going to sound like it's sort of a downer and it's just that Miller's writing, I can I cannot sort of tell you what it's like to sit with his writing because mm. you're half admiring and half so sucked into it <laughs> that it's another one of these books where you sort of get outside of yourself. There's a gentleman named Stephen Rose at this at the start of this who's in his fifties, I believe, and one day a letter drops into his mailbox. And it's a summons to an inquiry in Belfast. He lives in Ireland. And it's about something that happened in the Troubles about 35 years earlier, mm. 1982. And mm. it's an event that he has worked so hard to forget uh, to the point where he's an alcoholic. Mm. He's estranged from his only daughter, although they are trying to, to work back to some form of relationship you know, in the book flap, it says part explanation, part confession, part love letter to a daughter. The Slow Worm song is a profound and tender story of guilt, a search for absolution and a meditation on the hard work of loving. Hmm. And it's all those things. And here again, it's I know it sounds like a downer. I really did not find it that way. And Carl read it and he loved it as well.
0: Hmm. Yes, you told me when we were talking about books ahead of time, you said you were gobsmacked by it. I was. I thought, well, that's some high praise. Yes. Now, I just, I mean, it's kind of one of those books, and
1: Carl laughs at me when I do this, but I, even after I finish it, I pick it up periodically. Uh, (laughs) I won't say I caressed it. I was going to say you stroked it,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) 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 But a lot of times when I finish a book I really love, I try to keep it in the same room with with me for a while. It's not like I travel around the house with it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's it's sort of you know anyway it's your it's your lovey Uh,
1: it is my lovey that's exactly what it is but i would recommend that if you have a a, somebody in your life who's who's maybe a little on the picky side as far as novels like i think of my father and my two brothers Mm. uh, i really think you could do no wrong getting them this book
0: oh interesting i was interested though it had a really not very compelling cover yeah. It looked, looked kind of like it was I don't know from a 1970s kind of how to naturally handle your period or something. Like it was it was <laughs> oh, the, the kind of the peachy kind of <laughs> lavender tone in the flowers. It just I don't know, it almost It just, yeah. So, so I'm glad to
1: hear that the interior is fabulous. So, the cover seems to have nothing to do with the book, at least in my mind. But,
0: yeah, (laughs) don't worry about that. Oh, versus the novel that I'm going to talk about, which I adored the cover of and the interior, I just thought the whole package was fabulous. It is Less is Lost by Andrew Sean Greer, which is the sequel to the Pulitzer Prize winning Less. And um, Arthur Less makes a reappearance in this. He is, once again, the the protagonist of the novel. And um, also the narrator is the same, which is his live-in lover. And although he's not, they're not together in the same place. And I just, the tone of the writing, it's so, it just really takes you there. And it's wry and... Um, kind of looks at it, the world in kind of an askew angle. It Ooh. just, you know, I have you. You read less, yes? I read less. I haven't read. I've got oh. this, is,
1: this new one, but I haven't read it less oh. as well.
0: Oh, I just, I just love it. It's um so, and that Arthur Less's former lover, who was a poet, who had left his wife to be with Less. He fi- that man Robert. I'm forgetting his last name. Finally. Died, and Les and his boyfriend had been living in this house that Robert owned. And then in the will, Robert was like, "Oh no, no, no you owe me rent." And Ooh. so, just you know, after I don't know, seventeen years or something, and so this huge debt. So Les has to go on this. Um, he's an author, and he has to go on a road trip to do these book events in the hopes to make enough money. He's a successful novelist, so he can actually make enough money to from events to hopefully pay this debt that he owes the widow. It's just quirky and just love it. It's um oh gosh, I just it's so uniquely fantastic. Ooh, yes. I need to put it
1: on the right on the uh, top of the list. Yeah, move the it piles. to the top
0: of the pile. Yes, piles. Yes, yeah. piles. Plural. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what you got for us next?
1: Oh gosh, this one actually came out in August, but mm-hmm. I just have to mention it uh mm. it's called fellowship point mm-hmm. and it's by alice Elliot dark and it's one of those big fat books i'm trying to <laughs> peer at it now i think it's got like yeah uh close to 600 pages Ooh. but mm-hmm. it's worth it it's worth it um it really is about uh family and friendship particularly about decades-long friendships the mm. two women that, at the center of the novel, have been friends since they were like four or five. Their families Mm. have known each other, and now they're both in their 80s. And their families also went in and purchased a piece of land sort of on the coast of Maine. Mm -hmm. And the question, one of the questions at the center of the novel is, what's going to happen to this after they both die, mm-hmm. and one of the women is very, very insistent um, that they essentially sort of turn it into a land trust, mm-hmm. but the other woman has a son that envisions you know commercial real estate, you know uh, making it sort of a place for the the wealthy to come in, you know, building condos and this sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. but it really the way that it focuses on The friendship between these women, it goes back and forth between um, the past and the present. And you never get that feeling that you sometimes do with sort of, you know, multi time levels where. One person doesn't sort of line up with how you thought they would be Mm. in the future and the past. And she just does this exquisite job of really sort of nailing how long-term friendships can be such a wonderful gift. And yet at the same time, typically each person knows the other person very well. And that means they know you for all your good points, but also for your bad ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just thought it was lovely, very well written, and had had a lot to say about friendships and families and how we make a family if we don't really have one of our own.
0: Hmm. I played pickleball, shocker, there uh, on on Friday with some of my friends, including a neighbor of ours, Kate, who moved in, I don't know, about 18 months ago. And we Mm -hmm. got to, to, uh, we drive, I don't know, less than 10 minutes to get to the court. And uh, so on the way back, I started talking about books because of this upcoming podcast. She goes, Oh, I just finished such a good book. Fellowship point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm "I'm pretty sure that's on my co-host list. (laughs) Yeah. I like her already. (laughs) Yeah. And so she, they moved, she and her husband moved here from New Jersey. And she, I said, oh, isn't that set in Maine? She said, oh, yeah, you know, there's just times, she said, I love it out here, but there's just something about Maine that I really miss. Yeah, So, yeah. That was yeah. 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 And
1: I think if you, if you're a reader that likes like Ann Patchett, mm-hmm. um, Alice McDermott, I think you'll really love this book. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sounds like it would be a good gift then for someone who yeah you know they yes, like those, so. those if you know somebody that loves big fat novels like we do yes
0: yes <laughs> although they can be daunting and you and I both were not fans of a quite heavy book uh, oh. the, the last chairlift by Hubba Hubba John uh, Irving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you got farther into it. I, did you in, in end up finishing it?
0: So I, I had, No, I had started it and then the library wanted it back. And then this time I got it out again. And it just it is a, it is a tome. It is, it is. massive. Yeah. And gosh, in my teen and early 20s, I couldn't get enough of John Irving. Like I, I just i revered the man. Aunt thought he was hotter than Qatar <laughs> in summer. I mean, <laughs> and I saw him at Colgate. He came to Living Writers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But um, I just couldn't do it. And yeah. I haven't read a book of his in quite a long time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, no. he's he says nope. it's his last big book.
1: Yeah, and that's what I, I kind of felt bad because there were a couple of reviewers, one that I'm thinking of in particular, he sort of said, oh, you know, it's probably going to be his last book. So let's, you know, let's try to kind of love him along for this thing. And I was <laughs> like, oh, gosh, what
0: author wants to hear that? <laughs> Let's patronize him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, we will talk about more novels and some nonfiction gems after this brief break. Stick around. Okay, E, you got another one.
1: I do. I do. And this is another one where I'm going to tell you the plot and you're going to think, oh, she's <laughs> taking me down again. Uh, it's called We All Want Impossible Things. And it's by Katherine Newman. And essentially, the premise is how would you handle it if your very, very best friend in all the world was was dying of cancer in a hospice near you? Ooh. And so, yeah. Um, and yet uh, people have compared this. They've said, oh, if you like Maria Simple, if you like Ann Tyler, oh. uh, you, you're, you're probably going to like this. And I can sort of understand that because she's talking about these two best friends, Edie and Ash, and they've been best friends for over 42 years. So unfortunately, Edie is the one that has she has ovarian advanced ovarian cancer, and they've put her in a hospice, fairly close to where Ash lives. And Ash, poor thing, is is trying to handle this and be with Edie, and yet her marriage is kind of unraveling. Her love life is is sort of strange and off the rails. Um, she's trying to keep up with a teenage daughter who is in some ways sort of challenging. And yet some of the best scenes for me were when they were at the hospice. There's one that I want to read from that's just kind of hilarious. Remember that Edie is the one that's sick. Ash is the other one. Mm -hmm. And they know each other so well. And so Edie's just made a faux pas. And so this is Ash speaking. Well, you've kind of always been like this, I say, consolingly. A reminder of the time, Henry... Honey said that's her husband. Honey said he had to go out and smoke some hearts of palm. And Edie, questioningly, had pantomime putting a doobie to her lips. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, Edie says. But aren't you the person who eavesdropped on your mom and her Dublin cousin gossiping about somebody's hysterectomy and thought for years that the troubles in Ireland were gynecological? (laughs) 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 They go back and forth, you know, each one of them. Sort of all the time, and they do not want to talk about the elephant in the room, but eventually they have to, and eventually, Ash learns that Edie has noticed more about what's going on in her life than Ash suspected, uh-huh. so it's this nice combination of again a very long friendship, but also you know the pathos of of one of them is is terminal terminally mm-hmm. ill uh-huh. but I do think that if you like. You know, the authors that I mentioned before, Maria Semple, uh, Ann Tyler, mm-hmm. people of that nature, I, th- I think you will ha- enjoy it because it does have a lot of very funny parts.
0: Hmm. Well, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, I read Godmersham Park. I could be saying that incorrectly. Uh, its entire title is Godmersham Park, A Novel of the Austin Family by Jill Hornby. I have wanted to know. I want. I
1: cannot wait to hear what you thought of it.
0: Oh, okay. So it was. It was good. It was. Uh, it wasn't stunningly great. I, the book that I read. You know. So there's. There's all these books that for all of us who are huge Jane Austen fans, and and there's no new Jane Austen novels coming out. Uh, yeah. You know. So so finding books that kind of scratch that same itch, fill that same void. And so the one that I really loved was that The Other Bennett Sister. Yes, I was just thinking of that. (laughs) I keep keep
1: going back and looking at the author's name and trying to see if she's got anything new coming out.
0: Oh, I'd love to know when she does, because I loved, loved that book. And I'm pretty sure we talked about it on a, a previous podcast. And I sent it off to our niece, who's in her mid twenties and she just adores uh, Jane Austen. So I was like, okay, gotta, gotta feed that, that, you know, fire for that gal. So this one's (laughs) it's, it's good. I will say one thing I adored about it. It has really big typeface, uh, (laughs) you sure you didn't get the large print edition? (laughs) I did not. Um, So so it is about this young woman, or 32, um, you know, I think of Taylor Swift as young, so I'm going to consider 32 young. So her name's Anne Sharp and she, her mother has died and and her father only leaves her, he's not very much in her life and he only leaves her 35 pounds per annum. And Mm. so she has to become a governess for this young woman who is the oldest child of One of the brothers, one of Jane Austen's, the girl is Jane Austen's niece is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Her brother is Edward Austen. And this is all, you know, these are actual people and Mm -hmm. that Anne Sharp really was this woman. They don't know the author, Jill Hornby, creates her backstory. They don't know how she came to be a governess, but she really was a governess and formed this friendship with Jane Austen. And then, and also with one of the other Austin brothers, who has an old, a wife who's ten years older than he is, and she's not really in the picture. And so it's just kind of a quietly simmering book. There's not not a ton, you know. There, there's no, there's no spoiler. There's no wedding at the end. And uh, people are like, Ah, Sarah, why'd you have to do that? So, uh, you know, all Austin awesome novels end with a wedding or two. Yeah, and this, so this one does not. And so it's you know it's a it's definitely evocative of the period and it's well written and um it just it's pleasant I can't mm-hmm. I can't rave about it. I've read one or two other Jill Hornby books, and and I enjoy them. I, they're not ones that I would. If I could do a backflip, I wouldn't um, stress mm-hmm. my back up by trying to do one over them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but we would both for the, the other uh, Bennett sister, yes, which we love
0: exactly. Padlow. that yeah. was her name. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Yes, yeah. I will twist myself into a pretzel for that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it going still across the pond. The next two books
1: I want to talk about are both set in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And the first one is really a novella. It's under 100 pages. And this would make a wonderful gift book. Also, it's called Foster by Claire Keegan. Some people may have read last year, a big hit was uh, her book, her novel, Small Things Like These. Mm -hmm. And Foster is beautiful and devastating and has one of the smartest last line in this novella that i think i've ever read wow she brings the ending together and smacks you with it Mm. i mean i take my hat off to her i take my shoes off to her i mean she just she sticks the landing Oh, Carrie mercy. Strug sticks that landing. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, this girl. And the premise is that there's a, a young girl whose mother is about to have her, I think it's her fifth child. Mm. And they're living in probably not the best of circumstances. You begin to learn that the father in this family is um, a bit of a wastrel. And right before <laughs> the baby's born, he takes this oldest daughter and we get the idea that maybe she's about like, Eight, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes her to a childless couple. Uh, the, the wife uh, is the cousin of this young girl's mother. And she goes, she's going to be the only child. They have a very nice farm, live in much better circumstances. And the little girl is both excited, but she's also nervous. She's never been away from home. Mm. And so I just wanted to read one piece. Uh, she says, I wake in this new place to the old feeling of being hot and cold all at once. Mrs. Kinsella does not notice until later in the day when she is stripping the bed. Lord God Almighty, she says. What? Would you look? She says. What? I want to tell her right now to admit to it and be sent home so it will all be over. Mm. And aside, she's wet the bed. Yeah. Aww. Mrs. Kinsella, these old mattresses, she said. They weep. They're always weeping. Now, what was I thinking of? Putting you on this.
0: Mm. We drag
1: it down the stairs out into the sunlit yard. The hound comes up and sniffs it, ready to cock his leg. Get off, you, she shouts in an iron voice. What's all this? Her husband has come in from the fields. Well, it's the mattress, she says. The bloody thing is weeping. Didn't I say it was damp in that room? In fairness, he says, you did. Mm. So you've got this just this couple that knows exactly Mm
0: -hmm. what
1: this child needs. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: as the novella goes on, you learn that they've had a tragedy in their life. Mm. And uh, the ending, again, you can read this in a day Mm -hmm. if you really want to. It needs to be a long, uninterrupted read. (laughs) It's just, just beautiful. Mm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the second Ireland book is, uh, I picked, I would have, it's been getting great reviews. I would have picked it up anyway, because the author is Louise Kennedy. And my grandmother on my mother's side was born Louise Kennedy.
0: I love that. You told me that in email. I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. that, that Ellison, she is loyal <laughs> to a fault.
1: <laughs> but uh, luckily it is a very good book. It's called Trespasses. Mm-hmm. And it's the first novel of uh, Louise Kennedy's. And it's again takes place. Uh, this one does take place all through the troubles. It's set in the troubles, so it's like the late sixties. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's there's a young woman who lives a very quiet life with her mother in a in a real small town near Belfast. And her family has always owned this tavern, and they are very much Catholic. But anyway, uh, Kushla—that's the daughter. Who's the heroine of the story? She meets this gentleman who's a barrister. He's not only Protestant, but he's older than her and he's married. Mm-hmm. And they begin an affair. And Kushla is also a primary school teacher. And at the same time that she's having this affair, trying to hide this affair, and yet at the same time exulting in it, she's also very concerned about one of her students who is from a family that's mixed, the Catholic Catholic uh, father, Protestant mother. And so they are receiving a lot of unwanted attention. Mm. And again, it's another case of an author melding two stories, bringing them together in a way that you don't ever expect. And another ending that I was was very impressed with. It's just for a debut novel, especially. And I believe Kennedy was in her 50s, is in her 50s. Wow. And it's just one of those that you just can't help but admiring. Um, I think it would be a fantastic book club book. Mm. And it puts me in mind a little bit of William Trevor, who was an excellent Irish author. He wrote short stories and novels. And uh, even Alice Munro, the Canadian Mm -hmm. novelist and short story writer.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, yay, Louise Kennedy. Yes. All right. So our longtime buddy, Anthony Horowitz, he has has a new one out, The Twist of a Knife. And you finished it, and I started it yesterday, and I'm already 100 pages in. So Mm -hmm. you give it the big old thumbs down. Oh, oh boy. I just...
1: You know, I thought the you and I both thought the last one was,
0: mm-hmm. or was it
1: the last two that we two. were a little concerned too. Mm-hmm. This one, I just I think he's phoning them in. I mean, yeah. Anthony, Anthony, <laughs> and yet at the same time, as I told you, right after I finished it, I started watching Magpie Murders on PBS, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic, even if you've read the book. It's a it's a great series and it just really made me want to remember Anthony, remember those days <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're only a hundred pages in, but mm-hmm. I just I, I I got excited because of course it starts with you know the uh, gosh, what's his name? The the author, Anthony, yeah. being uh he's arrested. Yes mm-hmm. it, for so, a murder. Mm-hmm. Right, for a murder. And I thought, oh, this is this is gonna be kind of a new twist and a way to go. And just didn't happen for me,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean it's intriguing the way he inserts himself Anthony Horowitz puts himself in his books and you know mentions all his other books you know and and so it's very self referential and meta which is you know kind of whimsical, but I mean I guess my feeling is I'm you know about to hop on a four hour plane ride tomorrow. I think it's excellent plane fare, you know, I kept reading it i I made um scalloped potatoes last night for dinner. My family adores scalloped potatoes. And so I love that it just, you know, you put it in and you sit there for an hour and it cooks. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You made those when I came
1: for Christmas dinner that time many years ago. And I remember I I was going back for seconds and I went back and I looked and there was like a
0: dollop. (laughs) Oh, yes. You better believe it. I mean, I feel like I need to get a private from the army to come into my house and peel enough potatoes for us. I mean... <laughs> Those Irish people in your books, they got nothing on us. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I get to a point where I'm like, I can't do it anymore, I can't peel anymore. Boy, well, that's 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 how many we're gonna have. Oh yeah. Oh no. Uh we, yeah. we, we cleaned it out. So anyway, oh, yeah. but so I had more time during the you know dinner prep than I normally would. So I, I thought, oh, I'll just start, maybe I'll get a chapter or two in. Oh no, I'm like, whoo, and just so it's a it's a quick read. It is. It yeah. is.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I just think back. I think watching Magpie Murders made me think about when it was Atticus Punt, and mm. uh, I just—I don't know. I just felt that maybe he shouldn't have let those go as quickly as he did. Mm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, his two Sherlock Holmes novels are fantastic. Yes, yes, oh, so good. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's switch to nonfiction books to harken back to the podcast from two weeks ago. Everybody must must read "Running While Black" by Alison Desir. I cannot wait. Oh my gosh! And uh, I have to say it was a really good good interview as well. And so I just it's part memoir, part history, part really peeling back a very heavy curtain that has been cast over the contributions, the the impressive and monumental contributions of. Black runners in the yes. U.S. running history. Yeah. And, I mean, to say it's an eye-opener is is an understatement in that regard. The New York City Marathon, oh, you know, forget Fred LeBeau. Ted Corbett is the man we should all be getting down on our knees and thanking for the New York City Marathon and the way it is today. The fact that it goes through the five boroughs and just, gosh, just one of the many people that Allison... Shines a light on a well. Good because I don't know enough about him. I'm aware mm-hmm. of him and everything, but I I think I've only
1: read one article on him.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I knew nothing. I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just fantastic. So definitely put that right on the top of the list.
1: Good. Good. Yeah, well, that's a good segue for the the book that I read, one of them, which is The Grim Keys. And the subtitle is The Legacy of Slavery in an American Family. And a lot of people will recognize that name because of the two sisters were the basis of the novel The Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kidd. Hmm. They were born into a very wealthy slave owning family right around um, well, in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, the sisters were about, I think, about 13 years apart, Sarah and Angelina Grimke. And they eventually became convinced that slavery was wrong. They both ended up moving north and becoming very vocal about uh, the evils of slavery. Hmm. And they've always been lauded. They've always been you know, held up on a pedestal. Uh, and so this new book, which is by Carrie K. Greenwich, she wants to sort of shine a light on the fact that they got all this publicity and uh, and she agrees that they did a lot to reach out to people about the evils of slavery. But in the meantime, they had a brother who um, had a common she wasn't even a common law wife it was somebody that was uh, in his household a a black woman and he had three sons with her Mm. and essentially died when those children were extremely small and uh, she and the sons were left to his son so essentially the boys were left the three boys their children were left to their half-brother and eventually they caught the attention of their aunts, Sarah and Angelina Grimke but it was probably they were not treated as equals and so what she sort of points out in this whole thing there's a part where she talks about that the sisters were burdened by their lifelong tendency to see black people as either a cause to be won or a sin for which they must atone. It was so interesting to me because I've always heard about how the Quakers worked as, you know, were abolitionists. But the point that they're making is they were against the evils of slavery. They did not see the black race as on their level. So Mm. there was this you know, big sort of gap. And they said, similarly, Sarah and Angelina loved their Black nephews and generously provided for their education. But such generosity came at a price. Mm. And they, the brothers were expected to toe the line the way that their aunts felt they should be doing. Mm. So... It's just fascinating because of all the, the pieces of history that it brings together. And it's not a slam on the Grimke sisters by any means, but it also highlights a lot of the African-Americans in the North, the families who had who were very well educated and very involved in the anti-slavery movement, hmm. but also involved in trying to show the common ground of all peoples and just a a piece of history that I thought I knew more about than I actually did. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. good.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, mine is uh, you speaking about blacks who live in the North. This is the book I have started. I haven't gotten as far as I would like to, and it's called the other side of prospect by Nicholas Davidoff Mm-hmm. And uh, The subtitle is A Story of Violence, Injustice, and, uh, and the American City, and it is set in New Haven. And the author, who was originally from New Haven, moved back to live there for eight years to report on all aspects of this story, which involve wow. an older Black man who gets assassinated at point-blank range while he's seated in his parked car, and the young man who is convicted of the crime— who ultimately gets, um, he gets cleared. And so then the actual killer and just also the staggering picture of what New Haven is really a tale of two cities all within one city of just, and this Prospect Avenue is the, the dividing line between them and how posh and privileged it is on the white side. And on the black side, it's a completely different story and how residents of that side of town Barely ever even cross prospect, and uh, it's um it's really quite fascinating. The I will say talking about font, it is the smallest typeface, and, and so many words on the page, and I mean it is fascinating, but it is I mean. Readers were barely enough for it. It was really, really, yeah. It was Mm -hmm. it was slow reading. It is it is incredibly well written. It's been compared to Random Family. Oh, I loved Random Family. Yes, and when I read that, when they compared it to Random Family, I'm like, oh, I'm on. I'm doing this. And and I've certainly growing up in Stanford, Connecticut. I've been to New Haven several times, and my dad went to Yale. So we, I don't know. It's just an interesting portrait of a city and, you know, about all the practices that are so unfair and unjust in our society about the stifling of lower-income families and Black families to be able to afford to buy a home and, you know, headlining yeah. and all that stuff. So it's it's an eye-opener and a very engaging story. All right. I'm putting it on my list. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and it, it also, uh, you know, talks about the Great Migration and how that all affected things, and so it's very interesting. hmm
1: well, then I go a little lighter on my next one. It's um, called Sister Novelist. Speaking of Jane Austen, but mm-hmm. it's the it the subtitle is The Trailblazing Porter Sisters Who Pave the Way for Austen and the Brontes. Mm. And the author's name is Devoni Lucer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had never heard of these women before. <laughs> I mean, I was just sort of like, okay, Jane and Anna Maria, they usually called her Maria Porter. Uh-huh. And they were contemporaries of Austin huh. who had a very uh, interesting upbringing. Their father died uh, and left their mother kind of on her own with, I think, I believe it was five children. Mm. And she... Had enough money and had enough connections so that she was sort of able to to get positions for her two oldest sons in the Navy. Mm. And then Jane and Maria were known primarily at first just because they were very bright little girls. But then in their teens, they began writing poetry Mm. and then they actually began writing novels Hmm uh which their other brother Robert illustrated he was very uh, well known as um a painter huh. around this time but what's interesting is they were very much into the sort of you know the beginning of the gothic mm. you know there's a there's a sealed letter there's a you know a hidden staircase. There's a, an identity crisis. You know a long lost love, and yet these books were just gobbled up by the public. Oh. But one thing that uh, the other reason I was so interested is they were contemporaries of Sir Walter Scott. In fact, he was a childhood friend of both of theirs, oh. and yet they feel that he got a lot of his ideas from them, but never publicly acknowledged. That. Oh boy, hmm. what a shocker there! Mm-hmm. Yeah, who would have thought it? Yeah. Um, so it talks about their lives as authors, but also uh, they were lucky in authorship, unlucky in love. Mm-hmm. So hmm. yeah, hmm. sounds very engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And then the other book, a little book that I want to mention. There's a press uh, over in England. In fact, it's in Bath Mm -hmm. and it's called Persephone Books. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, about four times a year, I think they do it or maybe maybe they they publish. It's either twice a quarter or two books a quarter. I think it is two books a quarter. They publish female offers that they feel uh, need to be brought out into the public again. Mm. And so you get. Some wonderful ones. Like I read one um by uh, Francis Hogston Burnett, who wrote, you know, oh, yeah. Let, a Little Prince. yeah, yes. Secret mm-hmm. Garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this was a an adult novel that she, sure. that she wrote. But the one that really kind of caught my eye was called, it's nonfiction. It's called The Carlisles at Home. So it talks about Thomas Carlyle, who was considered an an amazing historian mm-hmm. in the early to mid part of the 18th century and he and his wife jane moved to great chain road and you can still see their house there Mm. but the book is essentially sort of about their life on chain road it's mostly about jane's life on chain road and it also is mostly about how many people they had working for them they had all the Different maids were, I mean, in fact, in the back, they actually have a list of all the people, women oh that worked God. for them, the years and why they left, uh, including one woman who, while Thomas Carlisle was entertaining a guest, she was having her baby in a cupboard, uh, <laughs> right behind them. Oh. So, oh. so it's, I, I think I told you that it made me so, so glad that I, did not live in the 18th century because <laughs> even, you know, well-to-do and the Carlisle yes. were more what I would say they had their money, you know, was up and down there. Mm. Uh, you know, so they had good years and bad years. But just the amount of work involved. Oh, yeah. And just and Jane, who's a very, very bright woman on her own, has to sort of take care of this, you know, the the great thomas carlisle and theirs was a love marriage but boy did he i mean talk about you know needing also i mean if he had been my husband <laughs> i would now be doing 20 to life no doubt about it
0: <laughs> oh goodness oh goodness! But just a great glimpse into that time period oh well, i love that because you know i think we've talked about it. i love those shows you know like Victorian house and uh, yes, you know, oh my gosh, the all those ones where they either make contemporary people go back and live in those times and you know learn that way, but to to have a look at one family in particular, just oh my gosh, you can almost feel the lye soap, you know, kind of eating away at your yes. skin <laughs> underneath your scratchy wool garment <laughs> that you've been wearing for five days straight. <laughs> no, it's just sort of. Uh,
1: I mean, entertaining, but at the same time, thank you, Jesus. You start to scratch your head a little too often. Oh, yeah. Oh, bed bugs. I mean,
0: every other chapter. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the final book is um, kind of a wild card, let's say. Yes. Now this, if, if I hadn't, if I didn't already have
1: it, mm-hmm. I would be pestering uh, somebody in my family to get it for me. It's called Revenge of the Librarians and it's cartoons by Tom Gold, D-A-U-L-D. And some of these were laugh out loud. They're all book centric. I mean, it's a pretty thick book, but I've got to read and I think I can pull this off the first one (laughs) uh, because it's just it really sort of sets the tone. So it shows this castle and you hear now that you are my bride, you will never leave this castle. Wow. Your library is amazing. And then it shows her looking in the library. Beyond the castle is a high wall with no gate and beyond that a deep, dark forest with no path. Well, I suppose it's my library too, now that we're married. <laughs> the forest is crawling with ravenous wolves, malignant birds, and the spirits of long dead travelers. So many books. I can't believe my luck. <laughs> And then it shows her husband sprout wings. When the sun sets, I transform into a wild beast and soar into the night, seized by a terrible bloodlust. Oh, okay. I'll stay here and read. See you in the morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yep. (laughs) I sense you saw a bit of yourself in that bride there. Oh, very much so. (laughs) Carl can sprout wings anytime he wants. And he puts me in a lot library that size <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, so those cartoons sound very fun. And like you say, it sounds like a fantastic gift book for folks oh, who love, love books as much as, say, you do. So Yes. <laughs> well, always lovely to talk books with you, Ellison. Ditto. Yeah. Ditto. I love these. I look forward to the
1: summer 2023 right now. Uh, I know.
0: You know. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I need to get a jump on it so I can have as much input as you do. So, all right. Well, and also something else to look forward to for next summer is is the first of our two retreats in 2023 that is in Redmond, Oregon, out in the high desert of Oregon. So lovely. And we are taking over this posh and hip, but not overly pretentious, hotel. It's going to be, if all things work out well, it's going to be all mother runners. There won't be any other guests there. So great. Lots of hiking. There will not be a race with that one like there usually is. And we will go hiking at Smith Rock, which is just a stunning, stunning state park and do lots of other fun things while we hang out there in Central Oregon. And that is in the second weekend in June. And then we have our we're going back to Hilton Head for a third time right over there near you. Not too far from you, Ellison, in South Carolina. That's right. And so we will have a race. There's going to be a half marathon and a quarter marathon anchoring that retreat. And so fun. Our hotel is right, right on the glorious beach that faces east. So the sunrises are just spectacular. So please check out our retreats and consider joining us on one or both of them. You get a discount if you sign up for both of them. And they make great presents. Uh, be a huge present, but um, well worth it. You can find all the details at anothermotherrunner.com. Click on events in the top navigation, and there's a 2023 20, retreats in the drop down again. Another motherrunner.com, and click on events. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota, by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. All right, it's a wrap. <laughs>